Hello, Niche Nation. It's Graham Poobah Carl from Niche HQ. Welcome to Events, What Wakes You Up at 3 a.m. Episode number four. What's new with me and my niche world? Well, to be honest, I'm a little rattled right now. I'm preparing to go on a trip for two weeks. Uh, one week, mostly business travel on the East Coast. And then for one week, I'm going to do a what my wife is referring to as a vacation. It's actually a little international travel. Uh, and she mentioned that she thought this would be good for me. So I'm not sure exactly what that means, but um, I'm going along with the program. Anyway, I'm really excited to have Eric Udler as our guest today on the podcast. Eric runs three large consumer shows. It's always interesting as a B2B event organizer to talk to a consumer event organizer. Uh, I think there's always a lot to learn from what we call the other side. So I, I'm very excited to welcome Eric Udler. Uh, I believe you're president of all show services to the podcast. Is that right, awesome. Eric? Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> Okay, so that's your official title, and uh, of course, you're an entrepreneur, so I'm assuming you do a little bit of everything. You know, it's interesting you say that. The last time I got business cards made up, I was trying to think of a fun title to put on there, like producer, president, dishwasher, and then I just decided, you know what, I'm going to leave it blank because I do everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the, the end result. Uh, everyone listening to this uh event is an event organizer and you end up doing everything the good the bad the ugly the beautiful this is true today i had my computer hat on so i was trying to figure out how to increase the speed of our network through wireless connectivity and just turning on the computer can sometimes be a challenge for me. okay anyway so uh are you are you in maryland today in your hq I am indeed. I'm in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, and loving life with heat and humidity hitting the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And, uh, is, is that where you're from originally, Eric? Yep. Born, raised, lived here my whole life. Uh, can't imagine living anywhere else. Maybe in the winter I could go to Florida, but I'm a Marylander. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I actually was born in Ohio, but I did figure out a way to get out of there, so... I've been in California for 30 plus years. So, but um, we're happy to keep you back east, and uh, there, there are enough people living here already. But uh, anyway, very excited to talk to you because uh, I think this is our fourth podcast, and you're my first um, B2C producer. Um, uh, you know, everyone's been B2B, and, uh, and my thought on it is that we can learn so much. Um, from uh, uh, from the consumer producers, uh, even though we have a B two B, you know that that I, I think one of the real tricks is always going to other people's shows and and seeing what they're doing, and and you have a whole different perspective than a B two B producer, I would imagine. You know, producing events is producing events. It's kind of like you know tying your shoelaces every day. Uh, you know, from one pair of shoes to the num another, it's very similar. Right. But in essence, we can all learn from each other. And one of the greatest satisfactions I get is going and doing what you mentioned, going to other shows, whether it's the boat show, the RV show, or your event, Niche mm -hmm. Event Fest, or 
any of the major, not even major, minor events. I love seeing how other people do things, and I feel like if I can walk away with one or two new ideas, it's time well spent. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree. And uh, I event organizers, for the most part, don't do enough of that. Um, and and it's sort of funny too because our our niche events, which most of them are for publishers, and and I get all the time. Uh, oh, you know what? I just want to learn about B2B publishing. And, and I, I think they're crazy. You know, it's like, I, I know B2B publishing. I want to see what the uh, other side, so to speak, the consumer guys are doing and vice versa. So anyway, I'm excited. And, and also, I have a real passion for what you do. Um, your, your three events you have are the Super Pet Expo uh, in New Jersey and then the New Jersey Home Show. Uh, and also Super Pet Expo, which is in, uh, I believe, the uh, D.C. area. And um, I, I'm a super pet owner. I, I have two dogs and two cats. So I have a passion for what you do there, Eric. Good. And that's, you know, that's interesting. As we market our events, we try and market to passionate people. And right. when you market to passionate people, passionate people are looking for passionate events to attend. No matter what their passions are, whether they're pet owners, they're homeowners, or they're producers of events, um, and they love what they do, so it's or love what they surround themselves with. So it's always a nice uh, opportunity to kind of look at what's out there and say to yourself about the audience: What are they passionate about? What are they into? How can I appeal to them? And, and 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 that's what niche is all about and and that passion and and where you can really dig in as far as someone's hobby or you know what what they're particularly interested in and that's why what niche is all about so um so i'm excited about it Be before we go into the uh, what wakes you up at uh 3 a.m i'm curious how did how did you start your own events did you work for someone else before this I did. I did. I spent nine years in the association world and worked for two very, very large events, the National Association of Broadcasters mm -hmm. annual multimedia event in Las Vegas, and then uh, uh, got recruited away and worked for the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, uh, the largest, I think it's the largest event in the country. And, you know, talk about passions. I was, uh, I've always been into like new and innovative things, whatever they might be. And so it was really easy, especially at CES, to kind of see what was out there, to be part of an event where they were talking about DVRs before we knew what DVRs were. Right, right. Uh, and so it makes it easier to work on your event. But I spent nine years in the nonprofit show world, but always had that entrepreneurial bug, grew up with it. My father's an entrepreneur. And I said to myself, there's got to be a way for me to do it. And it took me nine years to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And at the time, so many people said, oh, you're crazy. You work for the largest show. You go to Vegas five or six times a year. And those of us that travel regularly know that traveling gets old quick and so does Vegas. Yeah. Uh, um, but I wanted to create something that people were passionate about. And I sat there every day in my office when I left CES trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with my life now? And I'm looking at my dog Chandler and I'm thinking, <laughs> in my next life, I want to come back as my dog. Yeah. No, okay? I, 
I I agree. My God, my dog's life is I have two of them is wonderful. So so yeah, okay. And and what did Chan did Chandler actually speak to? Uh, how did it all work out? Well, you know, you probably heard the term. I don't know if this is appropriate for a podcast, but he did communicate with me. It's called silent but deadly. Okay. <laughs> And no, that's he, perfect for a podcast. And and I actually, in addition to producing shows, I invented a air freshener for dogs, um, <laughs> too. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about people's passions and yeah. pets. You look at any pet owner, they're passionate about their pets. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and just one real quick question. So I, and, uh, so you were... You were already pretty well established, I assume, like in your 30s and all that. So that must have been pretty scary to go from like probably a pretty high paying, you know, great job in the event business to like just going off on your own. I mean, uh, that, uh, was it, I assume? Uh, yeah, it scared the the heck out of me. You know, here I'm going from the comfort of a job where I'm getting a check, I'm getting bonuses, commissions, traveling on an expense account, and all of a sudden now I'm paying my own my own way and trying to figure it out it was amazing to me that you know i would walk into a building and introduce myself and say hi i'm eric udler and they'd say who mm -hmm. whereas when you walk in and you say hi i'm eric udler with the consumer electronics show and they roll the red carpet out for you right so right. um yeah it was scary and i left i started in 99 developing some contact uh different concepts of what i wanted to do and then 2001 hit us and it was 11 days before 12 days before a show I was doing in York, Pennsylvania when uh, September 11th hit and I'm thinking okay I gotta make a decision now mm -hmm. do I have the show or do I not have the show and President Bush is out there telling everybody you know continue on business as usual and I'm thinking to myself nobody's leaving their houses right now um, and it, it was kind of a real wake-up call to me right away to put on my big boy pants and say, okay, i got to really run with this and show people what it's about, and that was my toughest year. That was my first year doing public events, 2001. Wow. Wow. I mean, talk about an obstacle in addition to, like, a startup, you know, and, and having to deal with, two, you know, 9-11 and all that. So, uh, you know, and everyone's got the story of what happened and all that, but... Um, uh, that anyway, it must have been an incredible experience, uh, the good and the bad. Yep, exactly, exactly. And you know, I think you really learn a lot about yourself when you go through challenging experiences. They say that you, you know, you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. Yeah. I don't know that I failed per se, but it was one expensive and heck of a learning experience. So, so Eric, you know, uh, obviously with the startup and all that, there's a lot of sleepless nights. You know, you're just so worried about everything. Uh, you have no idea what you're doing. In fact, I, I think that's the number one reason people end up being an entrepreneur and, and having success at the beginning is they have no idea what they're doing, which is a positive because if you did, you'd never do it probably. So, um, uh, so, but what 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 wakes you up at at three a.m. in in the event business? What what's your biggest concerns? Gosh, you know, ultimately in my business, I've always thought about it like this: when you produce an event like a big public event, but this goes for anybody, for anybody, you have to get the people there. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, you have to, and I knew that from the get-go. I said, if I get the people there, the sponsors and the exhibitors will follow. But you got to get the people there. Now, how do you get them there? Right. And so when I first started out, I thought, okay, great. I've been in, you know, producing association shows for nine years. Didn't know much about operations and logistics, but I could sell and I could market. And at one point I hired a couple of people that, whether it be agencies or whatever, that I thought were smarter than me or had more experience than me. But there's nothing better than jumping in head first and doing it yourself. Yeah. Because in some ways, being wet behind the ears, you're able to ask questions of the people you're doing business with that maybe a, a, a seasoned veteran won't ask. And I'll give you an example of one, just for an example sure. that pops in my head that I remember we were getting ready to sign a contract to do a, a, a show with a building. And uh, uh, the guy says to me, uh, I'm reading the contract and it says you need between three and five million dollars of insurance. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that all the other contracts, I only need a million dollars of insurance. Mm-hmm. And he wants three to five million. And, you know, put two and two together and you know that more insurance is going to be more expensive. So I said to him, well, when I was reviewing the contract, I just said, I'll supply you with a million. And I remember an agency that I had hired to help me with some operations and logistics at the time said, well, they won't go for that. And as an entrepreneur, you ask the question. Sure. You have nothing to lose. And so I asked the question, and they agreed to it. Yeah. And that was the wake-up call that it took for me to know that nothing is – nothing. I can't ask – I can ask anything. Nothing's off the table. I've got to ask the questions and learn. And depending on how people respond, you want to respond to appeal to their needs, just like Sales 101, needs-based selling. They need to have something in the contract. What do we need to make it work for us? And that was a huge wake-up call for me and kind of let me know that, you know what, I might not have that much experience negotiating contracts with buildings, but if I ask the right questions and I'm the one writing the checks, amazing things can happen. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So so I know you a little bit. Uh, I I just in, in, in our workings together – I, you're you're a very creative guy, you know, and and uh, these are kind of events that um, I would imagine creativity and promotion is 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 where it's at. So, what are some really cool, uh, innovative marketing uh, deals that you've done before that that have worked or failed or whatever? I I'm, I really want to learn that, and I want to steal some ideas here, Eric. Absolutely, and. Number one, I believe in stealing. Okay, okay. so I'm going to talk about and give some different ideas of what's worked for us and what hasn't worked for us. So I'll tell you one that, that has worked in an, in an awesome way. We have a big pet food company that sponsors our shows. Mm-hmm. And um, the only people with any money in the pet industry are the pet food companies. Okay. And it took me forever to land them as a sponsor. I get them as a sponsor. I get in with the right people. And then, obviously, you have to appeal to your sponsors and under-promise, over-deliver. Okay, let's put that aside because we know we're doing that. Right. So I went to them, and when we advertise our shows, uh, we do a lot with radio mm-hmm. and a lot with TV and 
I can go into more details uh, if you're interested. But one of the things I did with radio stations is people don't want to win two tickets or four tickets to Super Pet Expo. whip de doo it's $50. Right. Okay. But you're the owner of two dogs. If you could win free pet food for a year, now that's motivating. That's yeah. real money. That's <laughs> it is, yeah. Up, up, upwards of $1,000 a dog. Right. Okay. Especially if it's a really good high-end holistic pet food, which is uh, the brands that we represent that, that sponsor our shows. So we, I went to them, <coughs> excuse me, and I said, I need 10 free pet foods for a year. They mm-hmm. said, 10? What are you going to do with them? And I said to them, after doing business with them the first year, the second year of the sponsorship, and I said, I can't tell you what I'm going to do with them exactly, but just trust me with it. <laughs> I did. This is a company that has been sold, but it was owned by P&G. Okay? Mm-hmm. Imagine pitching that to a VP of marketing for a pet food brand saying, just, just trust me. I'll take care of you. <laughs> but that's what I did. Uh-huh. And I said, give me 10 of them. I'm going to use five in each market. I'm going to play the radio stations off of each other. I'm going to say, hey, you've got this promotion. What do you want to do with it? It's not like giving away tickets to the boat show or the car show or the pet show. Right. And the pet, the stations actually competed to get one of those prizes because that's a really good prize. That was, it, it's a home run for us every year when we do that. Yeah, no, I, I, I would imagine. I mean, and it's so funny because whenever I do listen to radio and you, you're exactly right. Usually they're giving away, like you said, two, four tickets to some big uh, consumer show. And it's like, I, it's, it's not very valuable anyway that that's great and so uh, let, yeah let me just jump in here one radio station took it real far they did a pet co- a pet picture contest where people voted and they marketed it between all different four of their radio stations mm-hmm. in their network the country station the top 40 station and so forth and so on and they had over a thousand entrants that wanted to win free pet food for a year they said no other contest in the past year have they gotten that type of response from? And on wow. top of that, they give us the list of names they collected. So all of a sudden, we're getting more value for a dollar. We did another creative thing this year. This was all my idea. We love to hug and kiss our dogs, right? right? I mean, I'm not talking like the dog licking you on the face. I'm just talking a hug, give your dog a kiss on the head. So I came up this with this idea. We did it for the first time this year where it was a pet Again, a, a world record pet kiss. Well, we rounded up as many people as we could an hour before the show opened. <laughs> we hired a master of ceremonies, a, a local DJ. We promoted the heck out of it and our all of our advertising, social media, everything else. And lo and behold, we had 150 people come out for the world record pet kiss. <laughs> now, you should know that it was 40 degrees out. And we had a 30-mile-an-hour wind, so we couldn't hang up a tent or do any of the other stuff we did. Right. And we still got 150 people. So what did that do for us? One is it got people to the show early, the hardcore people. Right. Number two, it got them to talk about our show on social media. And then we had a whole social media play throughout the whole weekend with pictures that we could talk about. Hey, here was our wickedly successful pet kiss. 
that that's awesome. I, although I'll tell you, for a niche show, I, I'm not. We're not going to do a whole kissing of attendees and stuff. I'm not stealing that idea. But uh, but anyway, <laughs> no, no, that's really awesome. So so let me ask you a question, Eric. Uh, you know, I, I assume you do the traditional marketing, radio, TV, billboards, um, newspapers. I think there are a few newspapers still still in business. Uh, how much of that do you do now versus social media? Well, we have built our social media presence, and I'm an early adopter of technology, and we have built it up really well on Facebook. And so we're getting, we find that Facebook is best for public events because you and me and most of the people we know are on Facebook. Right. And not all of them are on Twitter, but most are on Facebook. So while we do a lot of the big stuff, the radio, TV, billboard, and to a lesser extent, newspaper, less than 2% of our budget is spent on newspaper. Pe people just aren't reading the papers anymore. Um, if anything, we're doing something like community papers or stuff like that, small stuff. Right. But we drive everybody to the web and then drive them from our website to social media. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way to keep in touch. And one of the things we've learned is that we're selling more tickets online than we are at the door. Right. And we know that a third of our audience are Facebook fans. That's really good. Right. Sure. But, but two-thirds of them are not Facebook fans. So that presents an excellent opportunity for us to connect with them. We have to connect with them somehow. So moving forward, we're trying to figure out ways of, okay, how can we better – engage with these people and it's not just engaging once a year or twice a year and saying buy tickets to the show it's putting up relevant content on a regular basis and that's the big challenge for event producers is right. you know if you just put up a discount code on your facebook page once a week that's not going to do anything yeah no 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 i so so break it down though as far as like percent wise uh, as far as people actually coming to the event, do you have any idea uh, percent we're getting 50% because of our social media efforts versus the traditional uh, marketing or is it, or is it really hard to judge all that? Well, it, it's, it's not easy, but we, we've got a good system in place and I'm a big believer in promo codes. Okay. Mm -hmm, right. We promo code everything. And I think most people are doing that. You know, it's not, your first day at the rodeo and it's not mine. Right. So we use promo code. So we want to know where people are coming from. How are they hearing about us? And the number one way people are hearing about our shows via promo code, because we can track the promo codes, is Facebook. Right. So one in four of our attendees are coming as a result of seeing our Facebook ad. Okay. Now, how are they getting there? They're not coming just from Facebook because you can do you know, promoted posts and engagement and all that kind of stuff and get people an advertiser. They're getting there from radio, from TV, from billboards and email. Email is very effective for us. Our number two, actually, I take that back. Our number one way is our email list. Our number two way is the Facebook promo code. The, so, yeah, that's that's what I was going to ask you because, you know, in the B2B world, email is like king. I mean, it still is. And uh, with consumers, and it, it must be, I would imagine harder to get their email than it is in the B2B world. You nailed it. it. It is very hard. And the only way you get it is in my, I mean, we have a 
a place on our website where enter your email address to get discounts and emails. But the number one way for us to get it is by uh, selling them tickets online. Because if they if you sell a ticket online, that has to be emailed to them. Right, right. And so to yeah. that end, when we promote our events, we only offer discounts online. Right, makes sense. Gone are the days of cutting out a an ad and bringing in a coupon to the show that has to go home and be counted and so forth and so on. So we try and collect as many email addresses as possible. And then we've tried buying lists and renting lists and sending out stuff. It hasn't worked for us, not for us. But keep in mind that when we're selling a ticket to Super Pet Expo, the ticket's between 13 and $20. Right. And Actually, that's higher than I thought it would be. Is that pretty typical, that pricing? Yeah, you know, most public offense, the rule of thumb is uh, – is to price it like a like like a movie. Right. And okay. The movies it's twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen dollars. Um, we did something creative this year that I'll share with you that I'll just kind of throw out there. It might be for some people that are listening. Is I got rid of our three dollar discount, which was save three dollars on a thirteen dollar ticket. Right. And I had a few years ago I created a a weekend pass for twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. And I basically created the weekend pass so I could market the shows to Groupon and Living Social to help promote the events. And, you know, they, they discounted by 50% right away. So this year, we, we tested it last year and we fully implemented it this year. We offered discounts on weekend passes only. So what sounds better to you, Carl? Save $3 on a ticket or save 40% on a weekend pass? I'm going with the 40%, Eric. <laughs> Duh. So you look at a 40% on a $20 ticket, it's $12. Right, sure. So it was cheaper to buy a weekend pass than a day ticket. And that actually helped, number one, increase our take. Number two, it helped increase the attendance because it encouraged people to come back. Yeah. Um, uh, there was some a slight decline in the number of coupon codes used because people didn't get it right away but i think that's kind of the way to go and if you look at it from bigger b2b events if you have a one-day ticket and a you know full conference ticket right obviously you want to get people to come to the full conference so how do you package that together you know and so that it's kind of a no-brainer of a decision. We actually made the cost for the weekend pass less than the cost of a one-day ticket. Well, the way we do it, Eric, uh, we don't offer anything but the full pass, so that sort of eliminates all that one-day business and all that because for us, uh, we want people really engaged in, in the event, and the only way to do that is to get them to spend as much time as you possibly can get them there, and in our case, it's two and a half days, and and that's the way I do it. Uh, for you know, we have national events, and like the worst attendees are the local events. Uh, I, I'm sorry, the local attendees, because they're sort of like you know half working, half not, and all that. So the more engaged you can get people into any event, the better it is for everyone, and especially the sponsors. I would imagine. Absolutely, we see the same thing uh, when I go to like. Any other conference, if it's the local people, they're not staying at the hotel, right. so they're back and forth. They're not going to be there for breakfast or for the evening. They just kind of cram it in the middle. Yeah, you know, I've actually, we hardly ever use local speakers because I've had problems with the speakers, like, showing up, you know, uh, when when it's local because they have a meeting or whatever. So um, that's just the way that goes. So, Eric, 
you know, we only have about five more minutes. I'm just curious, though, what what really keeps you awake? Uh, you know, 3 a.m. you're up. Well, you know, you want people to come, but but what what is it that you're really worried about? The weather. Yeah. The weather. Um, <clears throat> two years ago, we had a show in New Jersey, and we start moving on Thursday. The show opens Friday. Friday morning, I'm doing radio and TV interviews, and they're talking about, don't go out today. Don't go out this weekend. <laughs> the roads are going to be horrible. We're expecting 8 to 12 inches. <sighs> and and so what keeps me up at night? The weather. How do I get people to the show? And you know, when we had this blizzard at my New Jersey show, which we've had a couple times up there, that's part of the risk. It's also part of the reward because you know, people have been locked in their houses with ton of snow and can't get out they want to get out they're going to come do anything anything to kind of get out of the house so right. the weather how do you get people to the show and I, I mentioned that earlier the one thing that all of us as event producers have to do is you have to get the audience there if you get the audience there everything else will fall into place right right yeah and th that's a tough one it's um i always joke around with our uh hotel uh contact people that we want that 72 degrees and sunny and the contract uh it always gets a very small you know uh chuckle but uh but but cleverly enough and you really are working well with the weather and the fact that aren't your three events like in the middle of winter yep exactly and and the reason for that is like i said people have cabin fever when it gets cold out they want to get out right yeah so, uh, yeah, so there's probably not, well, well, let me ask you, so is there any contingency plan that you have or anything you can do? Yeah, you know, it's called, I, I talk to uh, the Lord and I pray, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? It's going to snow, it's going to snow, Carl, you know, right. they're calling for eight to 12 inches. I'm sitting there next to the weather reporter who gets paid whether it snows or not. What the heck does he know? So we're sitting there doing a live radio interview and I look at myself and I'm like, I got to make a decision now. So we just canceled the show on Friday. No. We said, you know what? The show's – and then we had a whole process where we communicated with people. We had sold, you know, like 12,000 tickets already and we sent out an email to everybody say, hey, we're closed Friday. Check our Facebook page for information. You, you communicate with people and that's – that's really important, you know, to let people know what's going on. Um, but I have one like killer idea that I want to leave okay, you with. Want to hear it? All right. So, a buddy of mine does a, an event here in the D.C. metro area called Celebrate Fairfax. It's a Fairfax County festival. Right. It's a county fair for all intents and purposes. So he has this event or has this program called the No Fuss Fundraiser, and I watched him do it and I asked him about it because ah nobody does it. And so I decided to do it. I want to tell you what it is because I think it's ingenious. Sure. So one of the things I hate is I hate it when my nephews and nieces come to me and say, Uncle Eric, will you buy an overpriced candy bar? <laughs> Uncle Eric, we're selling mulch for $20 a bag that you can buy for $3 at Home Depot. <clears throat> You've been there. I've been there. We, we don't sure. like that. Right. And so and then they, you know, they have the pizza night on Monday night, you know. <laughs> or whatever. And so I thought, you know, how do you create a fundraiser for PTA soccer teams? And then it got expanded. And I, I went to a blogger conference and in front of, you know, 500 bloggers, I got on the microphone and I said, how many people in this audience that are bloggers want to make money? And every one of them raised their hands. 
And so how do you give these people, whether it's the PTA, the soccer club, or the bloggers, a way to make money? And it's called the No Fuss Fundraiser. Okay, and it's not just for nonprofits, for anybody. So what we did, we've been doing it for six years, and we have a special discount code that we assign to them. Mm -hmm. So they can go out there and promote our events. And for everybody that registers and buys a ticket, we'll rebate back to them $2. Right. Wow. Now, $2 isn't a lot of money. Right. Okay. We had one nonprofit organization two years ago that had over 400 people come to our show using their promo code. Right. Okay. This is like a three-person dog rescue. <laughs> okay. And I'm writing them a check for over $800. Right. I mean, that's huge. I mean, that's that's like uh, the greatest uh, uh, cookie, you know, uh, baked good sale or whatever they could ever do. T- ten times that. And so you look at this and you say to yourself, they had to send out one email or two emails, put it on their Facebook page, put it on Twitter, and they're getting a check. And we love it with bloggers, too. Oftentimes with bloggers, we'll give them free tickets to the show as long as they promote the discount code because we want them to come to the show and write about the show. And we want them to promote to their readers, hey, because you know me, you get a discount. Right. That oh man, I love the no fuss uh, fundraiser. And and the thing is, I could see that totally a B two B organizer being able to like do a version of that with bloggers. That would be fantastic. It's a no brainer. No matter what type of niche event you do, there are bloggers in that industry or magazines in that industry. And all of a sudden, especially if you're advertising in a magazine or promoting through a magazine. Now they have skin in the game. Right. Now you have something to say to them is, hey, guess what? I'm measuring what you're doing. And if you do it really well, I'll write you a, a, a big check. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know what? I just have a minute left or so. But I'm just curious because I know you do a lot of uh, media sponsorships and that sort of stuff. So, um, I, and I'm assuming you measure all that. And, uh, you know, how does it break down? Is it like you know, if you have 20 media sponsors – are 10 of them good and 10, 10 of them terrible? Or how, how, how does it normally break down as far as the media sponsors? Because that, that must be a big part of what you do. I, I'm just guessing. Yeah, you know what? We, we're very limited on sponsors. You know, I'm going to a, uh, a conference uh, in a couple of weeks, and they've got 18 sponsors. And that really dilutes the value of a sponsorship if you have so many sponsors. So right. with our shows, we limit it to four. Mm-hmm. Now, when I take six, you bet it. I'd take six if I could find a way to creative, creatively do it. So what I do with the media is how I get them involved is every media, every media outlet we're working with, whether it's a radio station, a TV station, what have you, has a promo code. And we tell them in advance, hey, we're measuring your success based on the use of the promo code. Right. And then we go to them and say, okay, we've got the free pet food for a year. Do you want it? And the answer is always yes well if you had it how would you promote it mm-hmm. and they have to come to us and tell us how they promote it and then we evaluate what which ones would be good which ones we think would be good where do we think we're going to get the best value and that's how we measure it yeah so at the end of the show i can look at all the promo codes and say you know for example one magazine we advertised with you know we sold 14 tickets okay they right. were a, a publication sponsor of our show the only publication that sponsored our show and I sold 14 tickets. Right, was it, right. Is, is it really worth it, Carl? Uh, no. So, exactly. 
I mean, thank God you're measuring all that. I have a feeling they won't be back next year. Um, actually, they'll probably be back because we believe in supporting the little guys. They We probably just won't give them as much exposure as yeah. we did this year. Yeah. But it's real important, you know, to, to measure it. You have to measure it, so you have to know where your results are coming from. I don't know the, the famous ad guy that said, you know, half of all advertising works. Right. Which Which half? Right, right. Right. But that's, I mean, in the game you're in and the game we're in or all event organizers, that's, that's what it is. So anyway, Eric, I I've written down three or four ideas I'm stealing from you. Is that okay? Yeah, no charge. Okay. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at the niche event fest, uh, in new Orleans again in November. Ah, can't wait. It's a, I had a great time last year. You do a masterful job with it at kind of bringing people together and, uh, I'm grateful that you've invited me back to speak again. Anyway, th thanks a lot, Eric, and uh, we'll be in touch. You got it. Have okay. a happy day. Okay. See okay, thanks. Hey, Niche Nation. Grand Poobah Carl is gallivanting around Europe this week, so it's up to me to bring you what Team Niche learned from Eric Adler. Eric is just a really nice guy, an incredibly smart event producer, especially when it comes to effective, creative event promotion. So we learned a ton from how he handles contests. First of all, his contests really work to drive attendance because he makes sure he has really great stuff to give away. High quality pet food for a year will catch someone's attention. One bag, not so much. So to get those great giveaways, he really has to negotiate with his sponsors to give until it hurts. This is so true whether you're dealing with a vendor or a venue, and it's a great lesson. Don't be afraid to ask for what you want. The worst they can say is no, right? Then Eric made great giveaways and no fear of the big ask work together when it comes to promoting his events. We're blown away by the success Eric has had in actually getting media outlets to compete to give away his prizes. It's really helped him put those resources in the hands of the best marketers. Finally, we were really surprised how successful Eric has been in leveraging these contests for email event promotion and for gathering prospects. Email is king in the B2B world um, for in terms of promotion, but we really didn't realize it was also that way in the consumer event world too. Great contests mean lots of fresh email leads, and it makes sense since most of his registrations are sold online. Of course, Facebook is also a big marketing platform for him. For B2B events like ours, it's LinkedIn. So don't forget to get social on whatever platform works for your niche market. We get a lot of mileage at Niche Media from our own giveaways. We reach lots of new audiences and get hundreds of new prospect leads by offering just five sponsors the chance to give away a full conference pass. Each one's worth about a thousand bucks, so it's nothing to sneeze at, and we get a great response. Another event promotion strategy we love is Eric's No Fuss Fundraisers. Offering a blogger's audience a discount to drive attendance is a great marketing idea that doesn't cost him a lot of time or effort to implement, but can have such a big effect. Finally, as event organizers ourselves, we really appreciate Eric's advice to attend other events, and not just other events in your market, break out of your industry or category to get fresh ideas, then take back all the great ideas you see and add them to your own event. Just steal with both hands. Well, that about wraps it up for Eric's great promotion ideas. We're looking forward to meeting you at a niche event. Coming up next is our niche CEO summit in Chicago on July 13th and 14th. It's just for CEOs of niche magazines. A lot of the summit will actually be about events. Publishers are making a ton of money in the event world. Well, take care, Niche Nation. Until next time.
Events, What Wakes You Up at 3 a.m. is a production of Niche Media. It's hosted by Niche Grand Poobah, Carl Landau, and produced by Robin Ireland. Questions for the Poobah? Email carl at nichemediahq.com. Check out nicheeventfest.com as well as blog.nicheeventnation.com for more information about putting on your niche events.